Baptist Church, let's all stand, shall we, as we read God's word to each other. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the many coasts and islands be glad, clouds and total darkness surround him, righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne, fire goes before him and burns up his foes on every side. His lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness. All the people see his glory. All who serve carved images, those who boast in worthless idols, will be put to shame. All the gods must worship him. Zion hears his glad. Judah's villages rejoice because of your judgments. Lord, you, for you, Lord, are the most high over the whole earth. You are exalted above all the gods. You who love the Lord hate evil. He protects the lives of his faithful ones. He rescues them from the power of the wicked. Light dawns from the righteous. Gladness for the upright in heart. Be glad in the Lord, you righteous ones, and give thanks to his holy name. Amen. And we learned a new song last week. We're going to sing it again this week. Uh, let's rejoice together that the nations will one day gather and worship Jesus.
praising. He is worthy to be praised, and we will join all of creation in praising him because he's worthy. Sing this together. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, which means of abundance flow.
Let's grab a seat. The choir's going to sing a song. visitor, 
uh, we encourage you to go to our Next Steps desk and uh, fill out a Connect card, and we have a gift for you if you are a first-time visitor. Uh, so please uh, stop by. Also, uh, our Next Steps desk is where we uh, encourage you to take your next step toward Christ. Uh, after the service, you can go there, and uh, there will be someone there who can uh, speak to you about your next step, whether that is uh, to accept Christ as Savior, which would be your first step, uh, or anything else that you need to do as uh, far as continuing in your faith in Christ, such as baptism, uh, perhaps joining a life group or a D group, uh, going on a mission trip uh, with a group that, from the church here, or uh, anything else that uh, would encompass uh, your closer walk to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we encourage you to do that, and that's what the Next Step desk is for, and uh, there will be someone there to help you out. All right, at this time, we're, uh, we're going to pray. We have uh, quite a number of people who uh, either have had or are facing surgery uh, that we're going to pray for. We also like to pray for uh, missionaries as we uh, open up our service. So please join me in prayer this morning. <coughs> Father, Today we thank you for the opportunity to meet here together as a, as a congregation. We pray for each other. We pray that uh, most of all we will, we will exemplify the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. Not just today as we're gathered here, but Father, throughout the week, throughout our lives, uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ might be uh, the guiding light to each of our lives. And this morning we, we think specifically of our, uh, of our core value of sacrificial giving. Father, we know that uh, we can no way match the sacrifice that the Lord Jesus Christ made for us on the cross. But Father, you do ask us to give sacrificially, not just, uh, not just of our financial means, but Father, of our time, of our energy. Uh, Father, we pray that we would be, uh, we would be very generous and sacrificing those things that you have so abundantly given to us to help each other, uh, not just other Christians, but, Father, even those outside of the Christian faith, that they might see the love of the Lord Jesus Christ through us. And we pray this morning also for Redeeming Life Church. We pray that, uh, Father, as they uh, are early in their ministry, we pray that you would give them uh, wisdom, energy and ambition and, and uh, the thrill of serving you, uh, Father, as they take the gospel to those around them and that you would prepare the hearts of those that they, that they reach out to, that many might come to know the Lord Jesus Christ through their, uh, through their ministry. And Father, for uh, members of our own church who uh, either have or are uh, soon facing surgery, Father, we pray for Mike Loy as as he is still recovering, we thank you for the for the good reports that we've been receiving. But we know he has a long way to go yet. So, Father, we we continue to pray that uh, you would lift him up and that uh, he might continue to progress toward full recovery. And then also we uh, we know Ron Aiken has uh, had surgery just this past Friday, and uh, he is having some issues with the pain medication. And Father, we just pray that. Uh, that you would intervene in this case, give him rest and comfort, and most
most of all uh, uh, that he would have healing and he might heal completely, totally from this uh, from this broken arm that he had. And uh, Father, we know Emily Sousa is very soon going to be facing surgery as well. And Father, we pray that you would uh, you would give uh, not only Emily but her uh, her mom and dad uh, peace and comfort as as she faces this surgery. We know it's very serious. Father, but we know that uh, that you are capable of, of bringing any one of us through any difficult situation. So, Father, we pray that you would that you would let them feel your your closeness, your your love, and and your comfort at this time. That they might face this surgery um, and and see it as as an opportunity to be a witness to the Lord Jesus Christ, to those uh, who are ministering, uh, the doctors, the nurses, the other uh, folks who will be involved, Father, that uh, that this might be a testimony to each one around them as well. And now, Father, we, we uh, know that we have not been the Christians that we ought to be. We know we all have room to grow. And so, Father, we, we confess to you our failures, and we pray that the Holy Spirit might continue to guide and direct us and to strengthen us to live as we ought to live. For it's in the Lord Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. I have scripture to read before we continue. Uh, this is from Matthew chapter 7. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astounded at his teaching, because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. Amen. Would you stand to your feet and let's celebrate together the rock that we have in Jesus Christ, who is the same today, yesterday, and forever. the right man on our side, the man of God. 
Okay, so this, this church in Philadelphia, the city itself was named as the city for brotherly love. And it, it was not connected to just this being the friendliest place on earth. It was actually named out of honor and worship to the Caesar at the time, his brother. And so the Caesar and his brother, they were known as, as having a lot of camaraderie and love for one another. And so the, the city itself changed its names multiple times in its existence, all honoring and paying homage and worshiping the Caesar. And so if you think about that pagan context of the city itself, inside of that city you had a church that was challenged with the surrounding pagan culture, always calling to it to become more and more part of the world, part of the world. And yet we had in the church of Philadelphia a faithful few, a faithful few that they, they they saw great turmoil and tribulation in their city and yet remain faithful throughout. And so I wanted to title this sermon today from verse 11, Hold on to what you've got. Hold on to what you've got. And I did this in part because I wanted to get a song stuck in your head, but then hopefully redeem that song, that as that song is hold on to what you've got, as it's going through your head, that you think about holding on to Christ. Because when... When John is saying, hold on to what you have, hold on to what you have, you've got to ask the question, well, what did this church have? It was a small church, it was a poor church, it was not known for its greatness. So I would argue that all this church had was Christ. It's very much like what uh, we see in Mark 10 with the, the rich young man that comes to Jesus. And, and, and this rich young man is very prideful and arrogant. And as he approaches Jesus, he's saying, hey, what, what is it going to take for me to get into heaven? And he says, well, Jesus answers back the question, what do you think? And he said, well, Jesus, I have kept the law. I've obeyed perfectly. I've never broken. I'm such a good person. And he starts to explain how he's kept all of the laws since his birth. And, and what Jesus says, he comes back, he says, well, there's one thing that you lack. There's one thing that you lack. Go and sell all that you have and come follow me. And oftentimes when we hear this text, we focus on the selling of all that he has. But Jesus says there's one thing you lack. And he wasn't telling this young man that the thing that he lacked was a lack of things. He said, come follow me. It was the man's things that was keeping him from following Christ. What the man lacked was Jesus himself. And so today, as, as we reflect on this letter to the church, the, the, the challenge for the church to hold on to what they've got is also a challenge to us to hold on to Christ. So read with me in, in Revelations 3, starting with verse 7. Write to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, thus says the Holy One, the true one, the one who has the key of David. Who opens and no one will close. Who closes and no one opens. I know your works. Look, I have placed before you an open door that no one can close. Because you have but little power. Yet you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. Note this, I will make those from the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews and are not but are lying. I will make them come and bow down at your feet. They will know that I have loved you. 
because you have kept my command to endure, I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. The one who conquers, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will never go out again. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of my city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. And I want to pray for us quickly. Lord, I, I ask you to give us those ears that we may hear from you today, that you would glorify yourself in our midst, that you would encourage your people, that you would bring people that do not know you to know you. Lord, forgive me of, of my failings and my inadequacies and my failures to prepare enough or pray enough, Lord. Take my foolishness today and speak to your people. In Jesus' name, I ask this. Amen. Now, it's easy for us to say, hold on to Christ. In fact, I would argue that we should say that more frequently than we do. As we encounter each other and, and we see others in troubles or being discouraged, or, or even during times of great encouragement, but we're excited about the wrong things. We should challenge each other, hold fast to Christ, hold on to Christ. But as we challenge each other to hold on to Christ, I think one of the important things for us to know is, who is this Christ that we're challenging each other to hold on to? And so today, I want to spend some time asking some questions of this text about Christ. Who is Christ? What does Christ commend? He commends things in this text. What will Christ do and so today i want us to focus on the christ that we're going to hold fast to so first we ask the question who is this christ and i'm reminded of the little kid's story of, of of someone saying to the children okay who is christ or what is christ and and, and a little child responding back well that's just jesus's last name it's cute but it's not true Jesus was his name. Christ was his title. Christ is a title for the anointed one, the Messiah. The one that has come to save his people. The one that has lead his people into the future kingdom. So, as we talk about Christ and mention the name of Christ, this is who we're talking about. Now, much has been said throughout Revelation up until this point about who Jesus is. And I'll give you a quick summary John writes earlier in chapter 1, before he begins the letters, that Christ is the one walking among the lampstands, able to pull lampstands out and put lampstands in, noting his power over the church. He is, it paints a glorious picture of Christ with white, pure hair. An encouragement to, to, to me as I'm seeing more and more of that in, in my life. Okay, but white, pure hair, symbol of wisdom and purity. It talks about Christ as having flaming eyes, piercing in judgment, able to see all. It talks about Christ as having a sword that protrudes from his mouth and able to cut and divide. So as this picture of Christ is unfolded, we see that he's got the, the, these feet of bronze, strong bronze. And many of these symbols are showing Christ as all-powerful, Christ as omniscient, Christ as who Christ is. 
And then we see again and again the recapitulation of this Christology unfold in the letters of John to the churches. Okay, as, as, as we see it in these letters, we see that he's the owner of the keys and death of Hades, uh, owner of the keys over death and Hades. We see that to Ephesus, he holds the seven stars. He walks among the lampstands. To Smyrna, we see that he is the first and the last, that he died and came to life. To Pergamum, that he has the sharp two-edged sword. To Thyatira, his eyes are like the flames of fire, feet like burnished bronze. To Sardis, he has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. To Laodicea, he is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, the first and the last. And then specifically to Philadelphia, we see Christ called out as being himself holy, true, and powerful. He is holy, true, and powerful. Let's take a look at verse 7 here. In verse 7, Christ is called the Holy One. The Holy One. Now this, if you, if you look back through many of the places in the Old Testament, the Holy One was a title for God himself. So Christ is God, we see in verse 7. He is the Holy One. Now this title of being holy means he's transcendent, he's other. He's far above us, he's different from us, he is pure, he is perfect. And so Christ, the Holy One, came to earth as a baby and walked sinlessly through life being sinned against and yet remaining unstained himself from the sin trudging through this sinful world and remained holy unto his death thus providing for us a holiness that we could never achieve ourselves taking our sin and giving us that holiness and so as we, as we think about the holiness of Christ, we see throughout Scripture that when God is called holy, He's not just called holy. He's called holy, holy, holy. Now, a modern-day text, we want to emphasize something. We may bold it or underline it, make it bigger. In text of ancient times, they would repeat words or phrases again and again just to emphasize how important it is. And so in Isaiah 6.3, we read... The angels, one called to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. The same picture is shared in Revelations 4 and verse 8. Each of the four living creatures had six wings, and they were covered with eyes around and inside. And day and night they would never stop saying, holy, 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 Lord God, the Almighty who was, who is, and is to come. And so these, angel, these angels, these angelic beings, who them themselves were without sin, scriptures write of them covering their eyes and their feet in the presence of the Holy Lord because of how holy God was. R.C. Sproul comments on this. He says, only once in the sacred scriptures is an attribute of God elevated to the third degree. Only once is a characteristic of God mentioned three times in succession. The Bible says that God is holy, holy, holy. Not that he is just merely holy, or even holy, holy, but he is holy, holy, holy. The Bible never says that God is love, love, love. 
never says that he is mercy, 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 or wrath, 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 or justice, justice, justice. It says that he is holy, 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 and the whole earth is full of his glory. And so we see here that Christ is the Holy One. Christ is holy. And he also adds in verse 7 that he is true. Christ is the true one. He calls himself this. He is the only one with the authority and the ability to declare that he is truth itself. In John 14, 6, it says, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, we live in a society, in a world, where it's, it's increasingly detaching itself from the idea of truth or absolute truth. In fact, you probably, in, in your conversations with friends or co-workers that are not Christians, and they start talking about opinions and thoughts and facts, it's very quick for the words to come up, well, that's your truth, or that's your opinion, and your opinion of my opinion, and, and who really knows? And it would seem the only real truth that they try to cling to or, or stand upon are the shifting sands of what the culture is proclaiming as true. And so it was in this context, some of you may know this story, 12 years ago, we were looking for a name for our children, starting with our daughter, Aletheia. Aletheia is the Greek word for, for truth. And we wanted to name our children in such a way that, that they would be encouraged throughout their lives to be able to look back on something or always be called to something, that, that every time they heard their name, it would be a reminder of that which is important. And so... As was, I'm, I'm sitting on the couch, and, and Heidi and I could never agree what to name them. We had one of the youth at the time come to us and, and say, Hey, did you know the Greek word for faith is pistis? What if you named her pistis? And we, we, we opted out of that. Okay, I, I, I hope that she didn't just get a nickname. Um, but we, we chose Aletheia in, in many ways because we knew that she and the rest of our children and our family would always be in context that we're in need of truth, of absolute truth. Truth that we can stand on, that we can lean on, that we can rely on. Not the shifting sands of what we see in the world today. And so we have that truth in Christ. As we hold on to what we have, we are holding on to truth itself. There is no question marks in that statement. And the Philadelphians were reminded that Christ is holy, that he is true, and that he is also powerful. Christ is powerful. In two ways in verse 7 that, that it, it shows the power of Christ. First is that he has the key of David, and second, that he is the one that opens and shuts the doors. Okay? First, he has the key of David. This is a callback to Isaiah 22, where we read of Elikim, the, the son of Hilkiah, he was given the keys to the kingdom of Israel. And symbolic in the handing of these keys means that he had sovereign power over that, that system, that, that the, the treasuries. He had sovereign power over the land. He could say what does or does not happen. And so Christ having the key of David is saying that he is the supreme ruler. He is the Davidic king that is now reigning over all of the earth and all of the universe. And Christ said this himself in the Great Commission. He, said, he starts the Great Commission with all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. 
all authority. He is the key holder over the universe. He is powerful. And then it adds that he has the power to open and shut doors. Open and shut doors. And so this carries with it a couple of meanings. First, the first meaning is that he has the very power to open and shut the doors of this church. So I can just imagine the Philadelphians, when they gather at their family business meeting quarterly, as, as is the custom, okay, they'd come about and talk strategies and, and, and budgets and, and all those fun things, and uh, they were exciting times, I would say. They had to be reminded that it is not of their effort. It is of the effort of him who has the power to open and shut the doors. And this city being a missionary city itself in the propagation of Greek culture through the land, it was already on the minds of those Philadelphians in the church that they had to get the gospel to those around them. And how encouraging it is to know that we serve the king that is powerful to open the doors that can open the doors to conversations with those neighbors of ours, those friends of ours, those colleagues of ours, those family members of ours. And so we can rest easy knowing that it's not our power, it's not our sly trickery or, or our ability to articulate things better than others, but it's on him, the one that we cling to as we hold fast to Christ. So as we hold fast to Christ and we recognize that he is holy, that he is true, that he is powerful, one of the other questions that I want us to ask today is, well, what does this Christ commend? What does he commend? As we've read through the letters, we see that Christ would occasionally condemn things and commend things. And, and, and some of this, as, as we read through these letters, we see that this might even be the origin of the Oreo method that we see in, uh, in, in our job reviews. Where they'll come in and say, this is something you're doing good, and this is something you need to work on, and this is something you're doing good. As you, as you stack up the list of things that Christ is condemning and commending here, you see that he condemns churches for their lack of love. They may have a, a fantastic orthodoxy, but no love for one another. Okay? He condemns churches for a lack of orthodoxy. They may love one another, they may be tolerant of others, they may be open and accepting all kinds of teachings and not standing firmly on the truth. He would condemn churches for, for these various things, and then he would commend them. And in many ways, as he's commending these churches, he's saying, hey, it's good that you stay right on doctrine, it's good that you love one another. The one theme that we see throughout all these churches, though, is a condemnation, or a a commendation for faithfulness. And so in this text, we see that he is commending the church for being faithful through their weakness, for their obedience, and for their steadfastness. Let's take a look at verse 8 here. Christ is commending this church not for their amazing size or stature, not for their influence upon the political powers that be, not for budget growth year over year, the size of their building, how many cars are in the parking lot. He is commending their faithfulness. He's commending their faithfulness. He says, you are weak, but you are faithful. Okay, we, we learned last week of a church that had the opposite problem. 
by all appearances and reputation, they were alive, but yet they were dead. And so here we find the commendation that is, a problem, is not a problem at all, that they are being faithful. They're being faithful to him who has the keys for the opening and the shutting of doors. And so let us, like them, hold on to what we've got. He commended them for their obedience. Look in verse 10. It says that they are obedient. They have kept his command. Now, there's much to be said about the excuses that we use to dismiss our disobedience. Very, very seldom is it when, when I come in to correct my children, they sound a lot like me when I'm talking to God. And I'll say, you, you should have done this and you didn't. Say, well, but Dad, but look at all these other reasons around me why it's okay that I didn't obey. And so here we've got in the church of Philadelphia... They've got every reason in the world, surrounded by a pagan nation, the pressures of economic forces bearing down on them. Okay, in those days and those times, you could not easily just go and buy food. You had to interact with the pagan culture and the pagan worship system just to buy food. Okay, the, the, the money that we have, say, in God we trust, as they would exchange money it was common for them to exchange money along with the worship of their Caesar. And so as Christians, they couldn't do that. So we're not going to worship any God but Christ. And so they had all of these pressures bearing down on them, persecution bearing down upon them, and yet they were faithful. They were obedient. They were obedient. They held fast to Christ and obedience to his rule. Now, God does not give us these commands of obedience as arbitrary challenges just to try to make our life tough and miserable. But he who created us, he who knows the end from the beginning, gives us these rules for our good, for his glory. And so as he commands our obedience, it is not a system. And, and those of you that may be new to the gospel, I want you to hear me out. This is not a system of works righteousness, we're not saying that you are saved by your obedience. As I said earlier, the only obedience that we're saved by is the obedience that Christ performed. And that obedience is given to us as we follow him. Okay? But we are saved by his obedience so that we can be blessed in our obedience. And this was the commendation to the Philadelphian church. You are being obedient. And and very particularly, they are being obedient in their steadfastness, in their endurance. They are being obedient in their endurance. He is commending their steadfastness. As this oppressed people group, they're being commended. Now we see this as a common theme in all of the letters to the churches. We see a similar example in Paul, the Apostle Paul. Paul himself was no stranger to suffering. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten multiple times. He was stoned to death, brought back to life. And as you see his suffering, he could endure that to the end because he was holding fast to Christ. And he even prophetically writes of this History tells that at the end of his ministry and life, 
that he suffered a beheading because of his faith. And he writes in 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8 of this, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time for my departure is close. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but all of those who have loved his appearing. Now, much like Paul and those in the church of Philadelphia, our encouragement should be the same, that we should remain faithful, that we should be obedient and steadfast, holding on to Christ. And the last question I want to ask of this text is, what will he do? What will he do? Now, as, as we look into verse 10 and the section of verses 10 through 12, we see that Christ promises to protect his church. Christ promises that he will come soon and that he will exalt his people. He will protect his church, he will come soon, and he will exalt his people. So if we focus in on verse 10 for a moment, I had actually considered skipping over this, this part of the text because there's been a whole lot of ink spilt over this text a whole lot of churches split over this text and um, and I, I did not want to kind of tiptoe through that lightly so uh, but but then as I read through I said it would not be faithful for us to walk into this text without addressing it and conversing of it so uh, the first thing I want to look at is this idea of the hour of testing the hour of testing okay Christ is promising to protect his people from an hour of of testing there's no debate about that the, the debate is when that hour is and how it happens okay there are some systems of eschatology when i say eschatology this is like the end times how everything's going to wrap up there are some systems of this eschatology where it's very clear and defined there's a seven-year period of testing and christ is either going to come at the beginning of this somewhere in the middle of this or at the end of this and when he comes his church will be raptured up and called up with him and caught to be protected from this hour of testing there are other viewpoints on this text that it says those tribulations are happening around there are people today being persecuted for their faith being killed for their faith and they're going through a tribulation as well john in the beginning of revelation writes that he is a partaker in a tribulation because he is on the island of patmos being persecuted and so as we think about these Tribulations and whether or not the church will be protected by parts of them, all of them, some of them, none of them. I think there can be some healthy debate that occurs. And we should have those conversations. But we should have those conversations with humility. And as we have those conversations with humility, let us not lose sight of what is important, that Christ himself, in his character and in his power, has the ability to keep his people from suffering. So by default, any amount of suffering that would be occurring is a result of Christ permitting the suffering for a purpose. For a purpose of his namesake, his glory, and our good, the good of his people. So as, as we approach these conversations, let us be humble. Let us do so with prayer. Let us have our noses in the scriptures and, and work through the text himself and and let us never be 
one that thinks we know more than Christ himself. As Christ says in Matthew 24, 36, it says, Now concerning the day and the hour no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, except the Father alone. And so Christ and his humanity on earth was saying, much like what he told the Pharisees and the, and the scribes, he says, you're focusing on the wrong things. Your focus needs to be on me. And so as he's delivering this promise that he is going to protect his people, let us not focus just on the process and how. Let us focus on the, focus on the person that will. Let us focus on Christ. Let us hold fast to Christ and not forget his promise to protect his people. And right after he made that promise, I think a, a promise that we should be more excited about and have more conversations about is that he said he was coming soon. Christ is coming soon. That should be on our mind day and night. Christ is coming soon. Am I ready? Have I shared with others around me that may not be ready themselves? Because he has promised us that he is coming soon. Now this letter, written thousands of years ago, promising a coming soon, Christ has caused some pause with people. Some folks are looking at this and say, well, he said he was coming soon, but where is he? And I warn you, I warn you, Second Peter, Peter writes this in 2 Peter, he says, The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So let us look at that promise that he is coming soon and be excited about that. And every time that we see that he has not come yet, be thankful that he is showing mercy and patience and let that motivate us to take his gospel to the areas that he's opening his doors for us to take it. Again and again in scripture, we are encouraged and we are warned to be ready for Christ's second coming. To be ready for this. In Luke 12, 35 and following, it talks about a parable of servants and, and they're waiting their master's return from the feast. They don't know the exact time and when he's going to arrive, but they must be ready when he comes back. In Matthew 25, starting with verse 1 and following, we read of a parable of ten, virgin, ten virgins, five of which are foolish and unprepared, five of which are wise, and they are prepared. And so as their master's return is delayed, those wise ones are prepared for that delay. So in the same way, the Lord has promised that he will protect us. He's promised us that he is coming soon and to prepare for such. And so let's not waste too much time debating on the timing, the process, extra biblical, political context in which it can occur. But let us see this period of waiting as him showing us, revealing to us his mercy, his grace, his patience, with us and with those around us so that we can await for the full number to come to know him. And then let's participate in bringing that full number to him. He has granted us the privilege to go find them, to bring them in. And then finally in this text, we see that Christ has promised that he would protect his 
people that he would come soon and then also exalt his people. In verse 12, it says that he will exalt us. He will exalt us. He will make us a pillar in his temple, keep us in his presence, label us with God's name, showing the world that we are his. A little bit of context on these statements. The church in Philadelphia and in, in the, the city that they were in, they, they were in a city that had just been a, under a huge earthquake. Some, some believe that Philadelphia itself was the epicenter of the earthquake. And so if you can imagine for a second, all of the pagan temples that were in that area had been raised to the ground, fell over. Some of what you may see are just partial columns standing up out of the ground or tilted over and the destruction that would have appeared. Okay. At the same time, a few years later, that um, Caesar was started to see the Philadelphian economy grow because of their grape production. So they had fields there that, that had been covered with volcanic ash and made it really ripe and, and, and ready for grapes to grow. Italy was the major center for grape production, and now Philadelphia was starting to compete. And so the Caesar, not wanting his local area to create, uh, have economic hardship, did what every good politician does and got involved. Created a, an economic plan that would just destroy Philadelphia's, pack, uh, Philadelphia's economy. Stop producing half the grapes. Or let's convert you over to other material that will not grow as good in your region and area. And so inside of Philadelphia, you see this church looking around at a troubled economy, a lot of economic uncertainty, having seen the devastation brought about from the, the earthquake. And it was also, slavery was a common practice in that area. Now, many of us today in America, we look at slavery through a lens of, of American chattel slavery, and it's very different than what biblical slavery was, was shown. And, and, and slavery in the times of Scripture... Uh, we see it even in the picture of Joseph's life. Slaves themselves, as they're labeled and, and, and put their, their master's name on them, could actually be a symbol of, of elevation. They were giving authority in the community. They were giving wealth in the community. There were times where slaves could, depending on who, who their master was, be more important and have more wealth than others around them that, that did not own slaves or that, that were even slave owners themselves. Okay, so it's a very different context in this. And, and so as, as Christ is telling us that he is going to make us a pillar in his temple to keep us in his presence, to label us with God's name, he is saying something that is extremely encouraging for us, that he is going to prop us up into a temple that will never fail that will never be destroyed. We will stand forever. Earlier in the text, it says that he's even going to call the nations to us for us to reign and rule over them. So he is propping us up in his temple. He is keeping us in his presence. He is giving us a name, putting on us the name of God, saying, we are his. So the authority and the power that Christ has is conveyed to us to rule over the nations when he exalts 
his people. So as we've thought about this text, who is this Christ? What does he commend and what does he promise? The one question that should be on all of our minds is, are we holding on to what we've got? I know some of us are, are serving in this church in a capacity where you've maybe gotten discouraged. You're not seeing results that you wanted to see when you wanted to see. I think you can take encouragement from this text that Christ is commending your faithfulness. He is the one that has keys over the results. Some of you in this church today may be discouraged from just being tossed to and fro in the ocean of life. And many of us in those situations, we find ourselves where we've got these our hands full of anvils that we're clinging tight to and we're trusting in that anvil's power and that anvil's might all the while the oceans are whipping us back and forth and there's a lifesaver right behind us calling to us to just drop the anvil and cling to the lifesaver we're holding fast to the wrong things and some of us may be in a position where you've never thought what should I cling on to? And today would be the day for you to cling on to Christ, for you to hold fast to him. Are you like the rich young man today, holding on to idols of modern-day success, idols of wealth or prosperity, idols of reputation? What will they think of me? Are you holding on or trusting in your own capabilities, your own cleverness, your own intellect? Are you trusting in governmental systems or, or companies, insurance policies, all of which will be soon be burnt up at Christ's coming? Or are you today holding on to what you've got? So today, if, if you wish to cling to Christ for the first time, as Al said earlier, right out that door to the left on the conclusion of the service. Come let us know. So I've never clinged on to Christ. I, I want to cling on to Christ. Tell me, what must I do to be saved? If you need to let some things go, maybe you're, you're, you're clinging on to Christ, but you're kind of halfway clinging on and you've got some other things that you're still holding on to. You need biblical counseling. You need prayer. You need encouragement. Let us know. Make a pit stop out there. Come to one of his pastors would love to encourage you through this time. If Christ is opening up doors for you in your community, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, and the school systems you're in, for you to share his gospel with others, but you feel ill-equipped, let us know. We would love to equip you, encourage you, pray for you, so that the gospel can go through our community to the ends of the earth. So after we wrap up today, stop at the Next Steps desk. Let us know how we can better help you cling to Christ and to take your next step with him. So let us all hold fast. Hold fast to what we've got. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I come to you pleading with you on behalf of your people to show yourself. Let us see your glory in our lives. Those that are hurt, those that are 
discouraged, those who are ill, Lord, that you would show your glory in their lives. Lord, those that are running a race but in the wrong direction, that you may show them where they should go. Lord, we thank you that you are holy. We thank you that you are true. We thank you for your power. And we eagerly await your second coming. Lord, may you come quickly. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And as we sing together, would you stand to your feet and let's respond with a big yes to whatever God is uh, calling us to, uh, to cling fast to him. Oh, 
Make sure you see Pastor Mark about if you're interested in going to a trip to London. I was watching the British baking show last night and thinking about how I want to go back to London. So we're praying about that ourselves. And so uh, maybe you should be praying about that. Uh, sorry, that's what we watch uh, on the weekends. It's back on Netflix. And so we can't wait for that to get back on and watch our British baking show. Uh, but we think every time I think about those scones and those soggy bottoms, uh, I think about sharing the gospel with people in London, and so we hope that you'll pray about uh, doing that as well. Thank you to uh, Pastor Derek for giving us the word and telling us to hold on to Christ. Thank you, Pastor Derek, for that word today and encouragement to us. That is what I hope that is the message that we've received from these letters from uh, to the churches here in Revelation, one of the main important terms or uh, ideas that we should be getting is faithful endurance faithfully enduring for Christ until he comes and so hope that you are being nourished and encouraged strengthened and being courageous for what we can do as a church and Christians even though the world around us uh, is becoming more hostile to Christianity we can be faithful because we have a Christ to hold on to amen a couple quick things before we leave this morning. Uh, first of all, today, uh, just a, a quick cancellation, unfortunately, for Gospel at Every Home. There's just a lot of things going on this afternoon. So uh, today, we will not be going to Gospel at Every Home, but please make sure that you take, uh, uh, that you will join us here in a few weeks, uh, that we will be uh, joining together for Gospel at Every Home. We won't be meeting tonight or next week, actually, because of uh, fall breaks and other other things happening next week. So, uh, but in two weeks, three weeks, uh, join us for Gospel to Every Home. Uh, guests, we are glad that you're here this morning. Uh, again, we encourage you to go to the Next Steps desk, especially if this is uh, your first time here. A couple of you are here, here, your first time here today. Make sure you go to the Next Steps desk. You've either done the electronic uh, connect card or you can get a paper copy. And if this is your first time, you get a gift, so we hope that you connect with us. And then you have a lot of questions that can be answered there. Uh, Derek gave you some. Maybe you need to talk to someone, connect to someone about uh, how to trust Christ, how to be baptized, join a life group, join a D group. All of those can be answered at the, at the next steps table, or they will point you to that person. And so we hope that you go there. Today, though, is our members meeting, or tonight, really, at 6 p.m. We hope that you come, and I want you to know a couple of things. First of all, uh, we call it a members meeting, but I think, and we, we think, it's a, it's a worship service. Uh, we sing, we hear what God is doing, we celebrate what He's doing. Tonight, we're going to hear a report from our missions teams. We're going to hear a report um, uh, from our uh, French-speaking Congolese church. Uh, we're going to be hearing from uh, lots of different things, and we have just a few items that we'll have to vote on as a church. Uh, so it is a worship service tonight at 6 o'clock. We promise you, we learned, we as the elders, we understood, uh, maybe because our wives told us, the last one went too long, and so we're going to make sure that we're under an hour so that we can have desserts uh, uh, right at uh, uh, right at an hour, okay? So bring a dessert to share. We'll have a fellowship time afterwards. Uh, come tonight. 
6 o'clock. Something that's going on this week uh, that's uh, really a great opportunity for us. To, we are hosting for the uh, Northern Kentucky Baptist Association a choir on Wednesday uh, at uh, 1 o'clock. There'll be another dessert and coffee uh, at 1 p.m. and then 2 o'clock. There will be the Joy Choir from Lone Oak First Baptist Church, the 55-plus notes choir, and they will be doing uh, some Gaither uh, songs and different things here at 2 o'clock. So come if you can, if you're off, if you're a senior, or if you're younger than a senior and you like to come and you're off on Wednesday afternoon, we'd love to have you. There'll be other churches and hopefully other members of other churches from other uh, Baptist churches here in the area. So we hope that you'll come this Wednesday. And I know some of you are uh, volunteering some dessert, so we're very grateful for you for that. A couple of things that we want you to mark your calendar for uh, that's coming up at the end of the month, sort of the end of the month, at the beginning of next, next month is a very busy time for us here at Hebron Baptist Church. Uh, first of all, at the end of the month, we're having the weekend, kind of the last weekend of the month, we're having two outreaches to the community, and hopefully for you and for others uh, to, to be a part of. The Friday night will be another movie night. We had that uh, back in the summer, and so we had, so maybe it's a little cooler, it gets darker a little bit earlier. Uh, we're going to be showing a movie on the lawn out here for our community. So that's Friday night, and then on Sunday, we're having our trunk or treat. Uh, we want to make that aware for you. Some of you get super excited about it, and we hope that you will take part in that. We are wanting, we, our desire is always 20-plus cars. Uh, so we will have 600 people show up to this trunk or treat. So uh, we will provide candy. We will, uh, you need to bring some candy. We'll provide some candy. Um, and let me tell you, I say this every year. Some of you are super creative. And I hope you're creative. You spend you know, the next month planning and doing all this stuff. I put a mum in my trunk and a pumpkin. And praise the Lord, it works. You know, kids want candy. Uh, we, yeah, the trunk is decorated a little bit. But if you can sit in a chair and hand out candy, you can be a part of this event. And as uh, uh, Miss uh, Christie starts to do sign-ups for this, is sign-ups out there or is just, okay, sign-ups are out there today, and also you can start bringing in donations of candy. There is a box out there, so please be a part of that. And also, it's not in the bulletin because we ran out of room, but we do want you to start making plans for November 5th, sort of the afternoon and evening, and we'll be finalizing the schedule this week prayerfully. Chuck Lawless, uh, Dr. Chuck Lawless will be here November 5th to do a spiritual warfare conference. Friends, this is like he trains IMB missionaries, uh, the seminary. This is something he is known for, and the church will be blessed by it. You will not want to miss this. We have the blessing because, well, I won't tell you why, that story. But he's coming here Sunday evening. Uh, it'll be a couple hours, maybe two or three hours, and he's going to just walk through the Bible of what spiritual warfare is, what it looks like, and how we have the blessing of Christ to help us go through it. And so we hope that you'll come uh, on November 5th as we have him. So please make sure that you um, that you mark your calendars for that. Okay, final thing. Uh, let me make sure. Yep, there she is. We want to honor today is Kay Boots' 22nd anniversary as our church secretary today. Let's give her some praise.
And I won't make you walk all the way down here, but I'll make you pr uh, stand up. Go ahead, stand up. To, I mean, this very r rarely happens, and we've had Marks and Kays line up on the exact Sunday. So, Kay, we wanted to say how much we appreciate you, and we've got another gift here for you, uh, some flowers. We're so thankful for her, and let's give her another round of applause for serving our church. And it was her birthday yesterday, so we have to sing to her. We have to, right? Ready? One, two, three. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Miss Kay. Happy birthday to you. Yay! All right. What a fun time, and we're so blessed by Kay, and uh, what a great things of all that God is doing here at Hebron Baptist Church. Well, uh, we've been told to hold on to Christ, that we are to be faithful, and one of those ways we can be faithful is as we give of our tithes and offerings. For us to do 